while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. South Coast tonight. I'm Chris McCarthy. As always, Marcus Farrow is here. <clears throat> we have our very special guest, uh, Mayor Scott Lang. There, there, there is one thing I want to do before. Sure. Uh, Chris Hendricks is having office hours tomorrow. He wanted to remind everybody on that last time, but we didn't get to it. We had, we had covered so much. But Chris Hendricks is going to be at the Wilkes Library tomorrow. You're a New Bedford State Rep from 11 to 1, uh, 9-11 at Cushnet Ave. So Wilkes Library, 11 to 1. You can come in with any questions, concerns, or if you want to help with anything, or if you just want to say hi, or if you just want to meet your state rep, Chris Hendricks, he's going to be at the Wilkes Library tomorrow, 11 to 1 on a question at F. And before we jump right into it, I just want to say that we were talking about the pizza that Scott brought, and he was, he was handing out to to, uh, to our guests and to ourselves, and <clears throat> and that was from Riccardi's. And boy, I love Riccardi's pizza. Of course, they've got the location on Hathaway Road in New Bedford and one right here uh, in Fairhaven. So we appreciate Riccardi's, and we appreciate, appreciate Scott Lang for bringing it in. Scott... <clears throat> You <clears throat> worked very hard um, to elect Senator Kennedy president in the Democrat primaries um, over sitting president Jimmy Carter, who's about to shed his mortal coil, and we all respect the former president. Um, we don't all necessarily uh, laud his accomplishments, but nonetheless, you've also recently written a letter, a public letter, um, very eloquent letter, but nonetheless, to the point that you don't think President Biden should run for re-election and that maybe leave it to a different Democrat. Talk a little bit about that, about your experiences within challenging a sitting president and how someone would go about doing that, Scott. You uh, you don't do it, uh, you don't take that uh, lightly. You don't take that step lightly. Right. You, don't, you don't challenge a sitting president in your own party uh, for the fun of it or for... Uh, uh, a walk in the park. You do it because you have a firm conviction that, A, uh, that sitting president's not going to get reelected. Mm-hmm. All right? Because if, if you felt he'd get reelected or she would get reelected, you would hope that you would be able to uh, persuade them to, to perhaps get back on uh, the path that you would hope they would. Right. Um, and so you, you, the, the, your piece with Kennedy is you actually drafted a plan for a different candidate to challenge Carter. And it was Ted Kennedy that, that grabbed your plan. Well, what, what happened... If I'll, I have that history what, correctly. I think it's, I think you do, but but I, I ought to explain it. because Especially, look, uh, God bless uh, President Carter and his family, and we only hope that he has... Uh, uh, he doesn't suffer at all, you know, in, in, in his uh, illness. I know that he... Uh, three or four years ago, he was diagnosed with brain cancer, and you basically put coins on his eyes, and then three months later, he was out and about as if right. he was never ill a day in his life. So uh, that is a great thing, a great thing for his family. He's been out of office. I, I figured the other day, uh, 
I think, 46 years. He's accomplished in those 46 years as much as many people do in their entire lifetime in public service, right? He's done a great job as as a citizen after leaving the the White House. His four years in the White House, um, I felt, were... Uh, it came at a time when there was more expectation, there was more hope for America uh, beginning uh, again after the assassinations of the seventy of the sixties, mm-hmm. after the uh, Vietnam War of the sixties into the seventies, and then the Watergate scandal and the different the different Nixon, Nixon White House scandals in uh, from sixty eight uh, to uh, uh, to seventy three. Uh, there was tremendous expectation and tremendous expectation for the Democratic Party to get back to uh, the business that they were conducting under Johnson from the assassination through uh, through 68. And, and at the in March of 68, uh, Johnson decided he wasn't going to run again because he had a lackluster. He won, but he had a lackluster showing in. New Hampshire against McCarthy, who had challenged him. Now McCarthy decided, here's here's a perfect example in our lifetime. McCarthy decided, a Democrat, mm-hmm. decided that he could no longer support Lyndon Johnson regarding the Vietnam War. And he decided to run for president. He ran a race that was getting a footnote type of attention, right. but building strong momentum <clears throat> on the grassroots level. And in, and in uh, New Hampshire, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but he got in the 30s, uh, whatever that number was. Right. And Johnson uh, won it, but was expected, sitting president, you would figure would get 60, 70% of the vote. And sure. Johnson did not live up to that expectation. Immediately saw the handwriting on the wall and said, I'm not going to run. Uh, a insurgent campaign knocked out an incumbent president who was expected to run. And based on what he did in 64, you would have thought would have had a, a fairly good shot in 68. Uh, people felt strongly that Johnson should not be the nominee. In 1976, Carter won uh, against Gerald Ford. And uh, who also, it's funny, 76 was supposed to be an open seat. Instead, right. instead uh, and Carter, Carter actually... Um, began thinking about running president for president when it was going to be an open seat. And then in the summer of 74, uh, Nixon resigned and and uh, Ford became president. Ford had never been elected uh, to national office. Ford was yeah. a congressman from Michigan, minority leader. He was appointed by Nixon when Agnew resigned. Right. He was appointed as... Spiro Agnew. Right, Vice from, president from Maryland. People don't know, yeah. Right, no, and you know, Marcus, chime in because I'm acting like everybody would know this, <laughs> but if you were not alive then or following it, then you wouldn't. So thank you very much for doing that. Um, otherwise, it sounds like I'm talking about something that people won't have the, you know, some people wouldn't have the reference. So Spiro Agnew, the vice president of Nixon, who was elected in 68, resigned. And he resigned, I'm, I'm saying in 73 all right and and i'd have to look at the book but if you look it up on google whatever i think it's 73 and uh and then uh is convicted for graft in uh in in baltimore uh 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 court uh, under state under state laws ford is appointed 
VP and then and then goes through Congress and is ratified as VP. So it's Nixon Ford then. Gerald Ford having never run for national office. Now, interestingly, when Ford succeeds Nixon in August, I believe, of 74, he then appoints someone who is very, very interesting, Nelson Rockefeller. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Nelson Rockefeller then... Governor again, of New York. Governor of New York, yeah. ratified by, by, the, uh, uh, by Congress. So you have the president and the vice president having never run and been elected national office now i should i should put a footnote and indicate that rockefeller had thrown his hat in the ring for the republican nomination in 64 but never had never came near getting it right um he and and 64 with goldwater being the nominee of the republican party it's very interesting that uh six years eight years later nine years later i suppose nine years later you know what keep going 10 years later sold 10 years later <laughs> 10 years later right. after running 10 years later rockefeller is now vice president of the united states now rockefeller just to finish this up and and you didn't ask me this but just to finish this up rockefeller then is asked is asked to go off the ticket and ford picks right. dole that's right because because at that point reagan by the way the the best inter-party nomination fight that I've ever seen that you can ever watch in modern time, you can put it on Google, make the Google go and do it, is uh, the 76 campaign between Reagan, California governor, and the sitting president at the time, who's never been elected, Gerald Ford. Unbelievable, unbelievable convention. What what Reagan did, what Reagan did, I followed uh, to the T. I was working at the DNC, and we used it as a model for the eighty challenge. But what what Reagan did, which was very interesting, in the spring of nineteen seventy six, in the spring, Reagan announced that Schweiker, a senator from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, would be his VP. All right, so they ran as a ticket and ran all over the country, two for the price of one, covering double the space to try and knock out, to n- try and knock out Ford. Now, go forward just for the fun of it. All right, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor or bore anyone, but if we're doing this as a tree, at some point, so F- Ford then dumps, dumps uh, Rockefeller and grabs Dole, thinking that he had to tack more to the basically to the to the right in the republican party interestingly though in 1980 when reagan clearly is getting the nomination there's no doubt about it ford ford is the former president never having been elected but the former president reagan approaches ford Mm -hmm. and asks ford if he would be willing to serve as the vp and for a national election and ford basically says to him I would be willing to talk about it, but it's got to be a dual presidency, right. okay? Which we've never had. Never. And and the and the well, we may have had tacitly in well, pers- from a PR standpoint. We're told all the time we've got we've got two peas in a pod with a VP and the president. But in reality, at a certain point, the twain doesn't meet, and and yeah. and it's the president and the VP. Sure. Yeah. So what happens in general in this is that. Um, we had a situation where Carter ran against Ford and Dole, Carter and Mondale, Mondale being a protege of Humphrey, who I had worked for. Because uh, they're both from Minnesota. They're both from Minnesota. Yeah. 
uh, Mondale actually had taken Humphrey's Humphrey's Senate seat uh, yeah. when Humphrey became H- Hubert Humphrey was VP. the vice president of the United States under Lyndon Johnson was a senator from Minnesota ran unsuccessfully for the Democratic nomination in 1960 and had a young staff member named Scott Lang. <laughs> and, and, young and that pulls it all around and right. thanks good night everybody right? so anyway next week okay yeah so anyhow so what happened it is it's like vapor flying around this room right now trying right. to keep keep up with it but what happens is um and, and i just want to say something if you want to see hubert humphrey who was an unbelievable leader and he was a mayor he was a senator he was vp he was a senator again he ran for president twice, uh, once had the nomination, the other time ran for the nomination in 72, which is when I started working for him. You want to see him go on Google, put up Hubert Humphrey, put up, I, I think he had a speech to the DFL, it, like after he had, after he had won. Democratic uh, Farmer Labor Party in Minnesota. Gee, um, you know what? Seriously, I, Marcus, you're coming everywhere with me, and you're going to fill in the gaps here. So anyway, the Democratic Farmer Labor they're the, Party. They're the Democratic Party in Minnesota. Correct. Yeah. They are. They are. The coalition party, the Democratic Party. You pull up Hubert Humphrey and watch one of his speeches, and you will see why I felt that Hubert Humphrey, with a second go-round against Nixon, could beat Nixon. Now, that never happened because Humphrey came in second to McGovern in 72. McGovern ran, lost every state except Massachusetts and one DC. Nixon won in an unbelievable landslide. Yeah. And then Nixon was out of office two years later because of Watergate and assorted assorted uh, uh, corrupt activities. You asked me a question, I'm gonna finish it before the show's over at 10. <laughs> you said, why do you run against an incumbent president? You run because they lose the soul of the party. They but lose how the do you do the it? Party. How you do it is, uh, is very simple. You run a you assume and we're talking about running a primary against an incumbent yes a president. primary against an incumbent yeah what you assume is what you're that, advocating for right now what i'm what i'm saying is that i believe that joe biden should announce that he's not going to seek the nomination of the democratic party and that he believes that there should be an open race within the democratic party not fixed not rigged wide open full meaningful timely opportunity to participate as the charter says for all yeah. democrats to pick the next nominee and let the not then the nominee propose uh you know who their vp would be uh present themselves to the convention or many people present themselves the convention picks and then go like hell and get a democrat elected but, but if and he a doesn't new generation of democrats but if he doesn't do that which he's likely not going to do um, Someone's going to run against him. You and you and you saying that's good. I, I think it, I think it's not only good; it's important. Okay? okay, it's very important that someone run against him. And I do believe that if someone runs against Biden, uh, they will open the floodgates. Many people run against Biden, and and we will get a new nominee. Because without McCarthy, Kennedy doesn't get in the race. Without McCarthy, Bobby Kennedy doesn't right. get in the race in April, and or the end of March. Right. Okay, um, and Kennedy even even. Even after Johnson said, I will not seek or accept the Democratic Party's nomination. He still didn't get in. Kennedy waited two or three weeks looking at it, staring at it, and then decided he was going to make the go. Mm -hmm. Uh, He ran. I think the first first primary that Kennedy was in that year was Indiana. Um, And it was off to the races. Mm -hmm. Off to the races. Did you see see the documentary primary, by the way? I have, yes. Okay, it's very good. I like it. It, The 1960 race in West Virginia. Humphrey. Humphrey and and Kennedy. Marcus, I want to tell you. I thought it was Michigan. No, it was, no, it was, uh, 
The Wisconsin, there were two things that were very was, important. Michigan Wisconsin. may have been covered, but it was Wisconsin, Wisconsin and, West Virginia. and West Virginia. Yeah. What I do want to say about that is that many of the pictures of the Wisconsin primary were taken on Marquette's campus because Joe McCarthy's college. Yeah, so anyway, so Kennedy's... It's got Kennedy's, too, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kennedy's, Kennedy's uh, office, JFK's office, was above, above the university pharmacy, above Greeby's Delicatessen, on the corner of 12th and uh, and Wisconsin Avenue. And there was a little doorway and you'd walk up and that was where the Kennedy office was. So many of the sites in Wisconsin revolve around that. Also in 72, when Humphrey ran, which is only 12 years after he had run in against Kennedy in 60, many of the places that we went in Milwaukee were the same exact places that Humphrey and Kennedy had visited 12 years before, which right. makes sense, right? It makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. um, and you'd go into a South Side Union Hall and they'd, go, they'd get up and they'd cheer Humphrey and say, I remember when you were here in 1960. I remember when you were here in 64. I remember when you were here in 68. And now you're here. And then other people would get up in the western part of the state and say, Hubert Humphrey's been here since the first day he was elected senator of Minnesota because Wisconsin was literally uh, his second state that he represented. He represented Minnesota, and he represented the interests of the, of the uh, western part of Wisconsin. So anytime you walked through uh, these campaigns, you're walking through history. It was very interesting. But I want to say Humphrey gave the best stump speech I've ever heard. And if you go on Google and look him up, You'll sit there and you'll go, this is an old William Jennings Bryan type of a speech. Wow. Wow. William Jennings Bryan. So, William... I, I didn't know him. <laughs> All right, I don't want to tell you that, though. All right? That's important to say. That is important. Yeah, that is important to say. I never worked for William Jennings Bryan. <laughs> William Jennings Bryan lose to McKinley. I think he lost to McKinley. Yes, correct. Yeah. William Jennings Bryan was also the prosecutor on the Snopes trial. That monkey trial. Yes, the, the monkey, monkey trial. trial. Yeah. Anyway, uh, do we have to take a break and then we'll? Or we, we probably should take yeah, a break. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We get back. We're here with uh, we're here with former and future mayor Scott Lang. So I didn't. I uh, so welcome back to South Coast tonight. Uh, I'm Marcus and I'm Chris. We have Mayor Lang here with us. So, um, so Scott, um, just let's just kind of. Put a bow on the, the yes. Biden thing for now. Yes. So you, um, who were you looking at to 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 jump into the um, to jump into the race to primary Biden? Who do you think is an ideal candidate? So one brave man or woman who's a Democrat, preferably someone who has a little bit of a record, who has absolutely nothing to lose other than better the country and the party by saying I'm going to offer an alternative. I don't know that that person will get the nomination, depending on their stature, they could, but I don't know they would. So like a meat but shield. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in other, yeah, exactly. So in other words, what this happens is, is you open the door, you break the glass. Blow the beaver dam. Like, in other words, there's something blocking the river. Right. And, every, and everyone will. Human enter. dynamite. I don't think, I don't, then it's an open, an open nomination, an open seat. And I think you'll get many people in. Now, can the Democratic Party national party rise to the occasion and run an open fair meaningful and timely delegate selection process without someone putting their thumb on the scale 
And that'll be the real issue because if you don't do that, you will not win. Okay, you will not win because everyone at the end of this has to be able to come together. And if anyone feels like, oh, come on, I'm done with this. This is once again, they've picked uh, the insider or once again, they picked the man or woman that they all have a tie to. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. So in 90, in, I'm sorry, 96, in 216. You said, say it again, tell us what you, you predicted. You said the only person Trump can beat is, is Clinton. Right. And I said it, I said it shortly after Trump announced Mm-hmm. And and I said it on TV. Yeah, well, right. You said it on my radio show. Let's, well, but, let's but I said it on the media. I said it on the radio show. Right. After I before I said it on right. TV. Yeah, yeah, before I said it on TV, and Chris told me to say it, and I did it. <laughs> no, no, but you right? said Donald Trump can't win, but the only person he can beat is Hillary Clinton. Right. And then I wrote an article about it, a very long article about it that appeared in Commonwealth after the election, in which I I analyzed the the. I did the autopsy on how you take a race that you should have won and lose. Yeah. And the and the way you do it is you come up with an imperfect candidate that should not be president. And then you try and explain to everybody, this is who you're going to vote for. It doesn't work. Someone has to inspire and people need to be able to come together. Big tent, but everybody's got to come together. So who who would that be? Uh, it could be a young congressman. Quite frankly, it doesn't matter. You just got to be younger than Biden, right? You just got to be younger than Biden. Now, so why is list. this? Why is this mirror on the wall here in the in the radio station? And why am I staring at the mirror here? Here's what I want to say: <laughs> You got to be younger than Biden. You got to be younger than Biden. You got to be able to understand what the issues are. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about name the f- 400 world leaders. You got to understand what the issues are regarding the American people, and you have to have a record that is uh, is not such that someone reads it and says, "There's no way in heck this person can get anybody's vote, let alone mine." Right? So you have to be able to appeal. But if you do it right, you'll open it up and get moving. You have to have courage. You have you have to have more than courage. You have to be able to get up each morning and have intestinal fortitude right. that the only thing you're going to do today is get out and explain to the American people why they need a choice. Because the first thing that's going to happen is an absolute assault on that person. Ter- terrible, by terrible the, by assault. The White House. By, by the White House, by all the institutionalists, by anyone who thinks that their next meal train right. is coming from that campaign. So the Paul Begalas of the world are going to immediately say, oh, this is the worst thing that ever happened. Okay, the Jim Carvels of the world right. are going to say this is the worst thing that ever happened. Pa, pa. Until pa. they say, <laughs> I'm I, for I you. was with them all the way. Pa, uh, I was with right, them the whole And you welcome them. And you welcome them, you thank them, and you sit there and say, how can I cut you in on this unbelievable campaign industrial complex paycheck <laughs> right. Okay, that they look for every what, cycle, what, right? What is Paul Begala doing now? He's on CNN. He's still. I remember he was on Crossfire. That was like his, his big thing. But okay, I don't know. So so when he was on Crossfire, uh, he was relevant. with Tucker Carlson, right? With Tucker right. Carlson. So at that point, he was relevant. <laughs> yeah. Since that time, though, it's it's just an apologist for the status quo. The yeah. status quo is dead. Yeah. Okay. It's time a new generation, new ideas, twenty first century. I've always said that you don't get into the next century until you're about twenty years into it. We are now twenty years into it. Okay, we were, we were somewhat stunted by the pandemic, but we are 20 years into it. 20 years into it to start saying, let's think about fusion. 
to resolve our problems. Let's think about how we reorder our education system. Let's think about how we set up our tax system, our health system, in ways that serve the next generation, the next century, right? We're still stuck on 1950. 508-996-0500. Good evening. Yeah, hey, a couple other indicators that you have a viable candidacy. Um, a 60-minute hit piece and a uh, New York Times hit piece. You know you've arrived and you have a chance when they go after you early. Yes. No, no, you're right it's about true. that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The institutional media starts to go after you. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And, yeah, and then also you know, when the institutional media... DeSantis, right? So, so, so DeSantis, the Republicans have a wide open opportunity. So whoever gets in, they're all going to get in. It'll all be mixed up like a wearing blender. You'll see what happens with it, right? But the Democrats just start out saying, I've got a nominee, a presumptive nominee. I have a titular head of the party. How do I resolve this? The way to resolve this is by asking that person uh, to do everything that's correct uh, moving forward for the country. But if not, then having someone run and, and challenge them. Scott, you know, it, it occurs to me that we're talking a lot about Lyndon Johnson and the McCarthy and Kennedy campaigns. The New Hampshire's only right up the road. New, Ham New Hampshire is uh, an hour and a half away, right? Right. Yeah. So if you're a Democrat activist and you want to get involved, you literally can walk the streets of the neck of a, of a major primary state by jumping in the car. But by jumping in the car, by by taking a bus, by right. if you if you're old fashioned, can hitch up there, right? Right. And right. Back, <laughs> right. But the but the point is that. New Hampshire's not happy right now. Iowa's not happy right now. They're two, those are two seeding grounds for someone to plant a flag and say, I am running. And am I still on, guys? Yes. Oh, yeah, yes. absolutely. So, so what, what would you say about, uh, I, I know that uh, South Carolina was was pushing for the first Democrat primary. Well, by, by um, I'm not sure that affected the other side uh, to New Hampshire's chagrin. Does that give Nikki Haley any kind of an advantage? I don't say it. Nikki Haley just it just is the epitome of an also ran. Uh, so if Tim yeah. Scott runs, they split it right right Tim off Scott's the bat. Run? Yeah, they're talking about it. Yeah, but, I think so. But I think yes. The answer is if you can well, convince Scott, someone that you're a favorite son. Tim right. Scott's the senator from South Carolina, and Nikki Haley's the former governor and also a U.S. So, ambassador. So we did Trump. this last time. Caller, I'm we, well, glad we, you called. To do really quickly, we did Songus. We, we did. Uh, Kennedy, we did Dukakis, you know, we did Romney. Uh, you know, Massachusetts has gotten a, a lot of favorite sons. mileage out of New Hampshire being the first primary. Calvin Coolidge. Right, and and you have, uh, so let's assume South Carolina for a minute. They decide that Haley is going to be the favorite daughter. She wins that She wins that election. Probably everybody takes a buy on it. No one spends any money. No right. one's even going to look at it, and everybody's going to say, well, she should have won it anyway. But she locks it up. She gets a little momentum. And if you're smart, you say, well, you know, 1,300,000 South Carolinians can't be wrong, and you move to the next state. So I'd rather win it than lose it. And if you're the favorite daughter and you lose it, it's all over, right? And, like and, and like if, Elizabeth Warren. Well, in, yeah, in, and, in, absolutely. And also, like, let's, let's, even get, let's even get closer on this. Like Al Gore losing not only Tennessee, his home state, but also Arkansas, right. the president's state, uh, Florida was was a footnote in that thing. Hey, Mitt Romney couldn't carry Massachusetts. Right. So yeah. So I mean, you, you you're you're absolutely on the on the right wavelength there. I mean, it's yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. You know, uh, the, the, we 
it, it'll be great to have this conversation um, six months from now to see what ideas have come out as the 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 catchphrase, if you will, yeah. and uh, why that might be the topic of discussion. So, and the Ukraine war is going to, I think really play heavily this into this amazing segue actually we're going to hit that after this next break thanks, thank you for the call we appreciate it thanks we're going to we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app south coast tonight your voice heard right now on south coast tonight call 508-996-0500 or send an app chat message on the WBSM app now back to chris and marcus Welcome back to the show. Uh, let's take a quick call. Good evening. You're live. Yes. Good evening, gentlemen. How's it going? Oh, okay. Uh, Mayor Lang, uh, maybe this is not exactly what we were talking about, but with uh, technology and society moving so fast right now the way it has, uh, is there any chance that possibly, uh, since we have a uh, age requirement to be president, should there be a constitutional amendment to limit the age you would be uh, when you ran for president? Let's say make it 70 or 75 or wherever you want to put it. Is there any possibility of that? So, so obviously a constitutional amendment requires uh, the support of well, three-quarters of the state, right? Mm -hmm. States. So yeah. it, you, that's a road to hoe. But as my son Andy points out to me regularly, uh, 10 years from now, the majority of people will be under 40 that are voting, and they're going to have a much different look at a lot of this than we will. And we will understand the uh, the physical and psychological mental requirements of presidency of, of just about any kind of uh, uh, public trust. So I would say that's not out of the question by any means. Now, what should the age be? Massachusetts, all judges uh, have an age limit at 70. I find that most judges on before, as they get to that point, are just really getting great at their job. Sure. Right? Right. So I'm saying, like, this makes no sense. We have a fantastic judge who now is being told you, you have to leave the bench. Uh, there's probably an age, though, you look at it and everybody would say, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, but I would think that uh, uh, you have to be really careful because I also saw something the other day that said if you – if uh, they get the uh, genome correct, if they get crisping correct, if they get the uh, you know the latest technology on uh, RM, uh, RMV, uh, or what the heck, uh, the uh, AI? No, no. Well, AI is one. AI is oh, scary. Self-driving cars? No, no, no. no that, you know, this sounds like charades, <laughs> no, right? No, right, right? I promise you, everyone, we are not doing Baby charades fish here. Fish mouth, right? Yeah, right. Now, what I'm saying is, if they get the science correct, you may find that. Our actuarial table, which started at about 66 when they passed Social Security and is now up to about 81, came down a few years, three years because of COVID, gets back up to 90, 95, 100. And you'll be saying, how could you get a young whippersnapper, an 80-year-old, right. you know, uh, no longer able to vote? But I think you're on to something that makes perfect sense. And I, uh, uh, I think certainly uh, it's a good possibility for the future. Well, again, as I age... Uh I, I find that I can still move around pretty well, but sometimes looking for words and stuff and everything to, you know, speak. I'm, I'm I don't think I'm there that much, so it might extend our lives. But I don't know as far as the, uh, you know, the, the brain part of it. If we're as, if, if I'm as, as, 
as sharp as I used to be, and I, that's that's the one thing. I think you're going to have somebody in there who's, uh, you know, very mentally sharp. And right now, uh, you know, President Biden doesn't seem to reflect that at all to me. Well, I, I think there certainly on some days he he seems to have some uh, some questions as far as as far as his ability to uh, express himself as quickly as he did 10, 15 mm-hmm. years ago. I agree mm-hmm. with that. I also think I go out to the garage every day and try and figure out why am I out there, right? <laughs> so I agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. I, I agree 100 percent. We, we got to hit this. Uh, we got to hit this last break. Okay, we appreciate the time, call. Guys. Thank you. Thanks, my friend. One more break, then we'll finish out the evening so strong. Hit Ukraine. The WBSM app is everything. Hey, welcome back to the show. Um, so uh, we're here with um, former Mayor Scott Lang, former and future Mayor Scott Lang. So Scott W. Lang. Scott W. Lawyer Lang. in town. Happy to help anybody I can. <laughs> Scott, I'm um, speaking to people that you can uh, help. I, 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 sorry, I got the microphones wrong. What about the Ukraine? What are your thoughts? So my my thoughts on Ukraine. I look at these people who are who remind me of the old American first uh, isolationists talking about you know we need to get out of Ukraine. We're sending them too much money. We're sending them less than six percent of our current you mean defense budget. Anybody, anybody, anybody who's speaking about this, I'd be happy to go toe to toe with them. What they don't understand. First of all, people said someone said to me the other day, Ukraine is so corrupt. Why do we support them? I said, Do you think the number of people who are dying now for that flag and country is because it's a corrupt country? Right. Or do you think they're dying because of freedom? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know they had corrupt corruption issues. They were coming out of the Soviet Union right. for, heck, enslaved for heck's sake, right? So there was corruption there, no doubt about it. Zelensky and whoever comes after doing their part to try and clear it up. We have corruption in our country. It doesn't mean that you don't uh, believe in freedom. Correct. So these people are fighting with their lives every day. Now, let's assume it's their fight, not ours, right? It's their fight, not ours. Let them use the old Soviet weapons. Let them fight, stand, stand, uh, you know, stand out one day, one stand to a standstill. That's not going to happen. The Soviet Union still has the capacity to produce more Soviet era weapons. Right. They still have. They still. By the way, we restrain. Ukrainians are fighting with one hand behind their back because we've told them to. Correct. Because they have not gone into Russia. They could go into Russia any day of the week, and right. the Russian citizens would say, "What the heck is happening here?" Right. right. But we're. We're very weary of this, uh, you know, and, and rightly so, of the nuclear uh, saber rattling that, that Putin's doing. But we have, Ukraine has done an unbelievable job in, in fighting the Russian army to the point where you question whether the Russian army is viable. The other thing is, Putin let's assume you said... conscript people. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely so. So let's, let's say this. Let's assume we turn a blind eye. Let's assume we say... Let's use this money in America for whatever it might be, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm, we do need money in America, but we have money in America. But let's assume we did that. What's going to happen is uh, Russia's going to drive uh, right through to Poland. Mm-hmm. Now, Russia may stop at Poland, but we're going to have to do everything we can at that point to defend Poland, A, because it's a NATO, NATO country, country yes. and B, because it is the gateway to Europe. It's right. over and done with. Mm-hmm. So do you want the Ukrainians... This is the first time, by the way, I have seen... Uh, the Americanization of an army that's worked. Yes. God behave, God bless the Iraqis. God bless the Afghan army. God bless, God bless the, the South Vietnamese, South Vietnamese right, army. Right. This is the first time people stood, fought, bled, died for their flag mm-hmm. and believe in it and are kicking ass every day. The idea for a minute that we would say it's not our fight. We will be there now with our boys. Right. 
are women, okay, in Poland, in Europe, before you know it. And if you don't think history repeats itself, look at history. It repeats itself. It yes. continues to repeat itself. Correct. So from my perspective, betting on Ukraine, providing Ukraine with the weapons they need, not only defensive weapons, but offensive weapons, is the key to this. Now, you can say, well, a Stinger missile is, an, is a defensive weapon. It really is not if you're on the offense. Correct. All right? Yeah. Right. And you, right. Can say, and you can say uh, uh, HEMARS is, is, a, is a defensive weapon. It's not if you're wiping out... Uh, ammunition dumps, wiping out uh, air defense right. uh, 30, 40 miles away from the line. All right? Uh, you, you do have a defensive weapon uh, category when you're in a trench and a, and a tank is coming at you. It seems to me that is when you use a stinger and say, well, that was a good defensive weapon. Right. Javelin missile, but, yeah. but in general, if you're out and about and you're pressing the fight, those weapons are very important to drive the Russians out of Ukraine. For one minute, let's assume that one of our neighboring countries decided to uh, invade us. First thing we would say is we are a sovereign entity. I don't want to point out to you that they're doing that, but go ahead. All right, well, that's, that's a political issue, and they're, right. they're, they do it every single day yes, in many, do. many ways. Yes. And it's our own darn fault that we don't make sure that that, about 30 that doesn't happen. 30 seconds, all right. So yeah. in 30 seconds, I would simply say, that if you don't think that it's worth fighting Ukraine, uh, eventually you're going to be sending our equipment, men and women, uh, over to Europe to fight the next front in the next trench. And that doesn't make any sense to me when I think the Ukrainians can handle this very, very capably. The easiest thing we can do is write a check. So write a check. And, and a very important thing yes. to do, right? Yes. We're not being held hostage. We're doing it voluntarily. Right. Yeah, either actual capital or human capital. Yeah, so, exactly. all right, guys, have a great weekend. We'll be back.